episode 11 of the build. I just noticed my notes say 10. I'm going to fix that. Maybe I had 10 on the brain for some reason. You can imagine why. Um, welcome back. Uh, the Canadian season is over, and the only thing I'm positive of is COVID-19. Maybe that's too much. Maybe not enough. I don't know. Uh, so where have I been? Last week, there was no episode because I was on my way home from Boston. I was at a, uh, a convention called PAX East. PAX is the Penny Arcade Expo. It was the first time I'd been there. Um, video games and board games and uh, lots of cool stuff. I They do uh, like pin trading, so there's lots of pins. I'm, I'm a pin goblin, so bought a whole bunch of pins. Um, and it was vaccine mandate. Mask mandate within the expo hall. I was as safe as I could be in the expo hall. People were still getting COVID in there. Um, obviously, you know, I was going out to eat and stuff in Boston because I, you know, what what else am I going to do? Um, also, I need to explain anything. I'm vaccinated. I can do whatever. Um, and then Monday, I'm driving home. I wake up in the hotel and I'm like, Oh man, I, I'm like the most tired I've ever been. I chalked it up to allergies as everyone does. And then uh, driving home, I'm like, yep, still really tired. And then I get home and I go, yep, still really tired. So I took a test and uh, it was positive like immediately. You know, those at-home tests. They're like, wait 15 minutes because that's when you'll, you the, the true results will show up. Dude, that line popped up like the second my booger water touched that part of the paper so um yeah we're COVID positive it uh let's see monday was rough tuesday wednesday thursday were rough i didn't go to work i i work remotely so it's fine like i i'm now back at work but i'm in no danger of you know giving anybody else COVID. um but just fatigue congestion, sore throat, just about all that stuff. Sore throat's gone, fatigue's gone. Um still a bit of a cough, headaches. But I mean, generally it doesn't feel much different than like allergies. Um and what I was most worried about was I'm an asthmatic, so I was worried that um that was going to have a big impact on my lungs. I never had to use my my rescue inhaler or any of that, so I'm fine. We're good. Kristen and I are isolated from each other because she's got stuff to do and uh, trying not to impede with that stuff. So living a, a very isolated lifestyle at the moment, but we're all right. Um, I'll try to keep sick noises to a minimum. I'm going to try to edit them out as they come up. <laughs> like I'm going to stop to clear my throat and things of that nature. But uh, you've been forewarned. I don't know if that's something that's going to bother you. I'm laughing just because I've never had to give a disclaimer that I got boogers in my mouth. Like, you know what I mean? It's uh, weird. Weird stuff. We're working on it. Um, so, I don't know. Check out if you don't want to listen to some cool booger noises with your friend Ian. Um, while I was up in Boston, the uh, unfortunate news of Guy Lafleur's passing... Um, or as the Rangers said it in their very, very poorly made pregame uh, footnote. I won't even call it a ceremony. Guy Lafleur is what they call them. Um, I'm an American. I'll still say Guy Lafleur. Um, I know that's not entirely swinging in that direction. Most of the time when I refer to him going forward, it will just be Guy, and you'll know who I'm talking about. Um, 
we all know Guy wasn't doing all that well. His health was declining. I think he was, I think he had cancer. I think that's what ended up happening. But it was still a shock giving that the fan is, that the family released a, a statement through the Canadians not too long ago that Guy was doing okay. Um, I was in Boston um, for that, that ceremony. I was watching it at a restaurant on my phone, which is not the best way to do it. I've since gone back and watched the 10 minute ovation. Um, it's truly an incredible way to remember Guy, I think. Uh, getting kind of choked up. I'm trying not to, trying not to, but we'll, we'll, we'll figure it out. Um, you know, it's also funny how the city knows how it wants to celebrate its legends, right? Like, if you remember when, when Jean Belleville passed, he didn't get that ovation. And it's that's not to say that what he got was anything short of what he earned, what he deserved. When Jean Belleville passed, it was silent. It was it was a somber day when he passed. It was still somber when Guy Lafleur passed. But I, I read a tweet. I read a tweet that said that like uh, Guy Lafleur was like your dad, and and uh, sorry, Jean Belleville was like your dad, and Guy Lafleur was your cool uncle. And I think that's how we'll. I'm at least compartmentalizing the two, um, the two ovations. Because you remember when Jean Belleville w- passed away, and they had that ceremony at the Bell Center. It was complete silence for that moment of silence. Um, you could hear a pin drop, and not NHL game moment of silence. Silence where you'll hear guys yelling, you know, cheering for their team in the middle of that. Um, that moment of silence. Like I've been at some moment of silences for games where they were memorializing some heinous stuff that's happened. And I was at Canadians games on the road and you'll hear fans yell, go Habs go in the middle of that silence. It's not what it's for. Guy Lafleur, on the other hand, like this, this, this ovation that he got was entirely reasonable. Like and I know Patrick Waugh went on the radio and said that, you know, there shouldn't be a moment of silence. Everyone should scream. That's not why everybody did it. Everyone was going to do it anyway. I don't like this idea that Patrick Waugh was the guy who was going to lead that charge. I feel like they were going to do that anyway. Um, but the city, the fan base, the team, the environment around the Montreal Canadiens knew how they needed to celebrate the life and memory of Guy Lafleur and they did it. It was fitting. It was beautiful. And this is where I'll pivot, and not in a way that I think is disrespectful to to Guy, his family, his memory, the Montreal Canadiens. I am a little resentful. <laughs> I I can't help but feel when things like this happened, like this generation of Habs fans is. Uh, we we haven't gotten this. Like, Guy was not ours, right? He's our grandfathers, our dads. That's who Guy belongs to. You know, when we when the time comes to remember these legends, I'm reminded that back then they used to come along every four years or so. You get a Maurice Rocket Richard and a Jean Bellefo and a and a, and a and a Ken Dryden and a a Guy Lafleur and. The, the list goes on. Look up at the rafters. They're there, right? Like, and they're, you look at the years, they're not all that far apart from each other. I know the game has changed. I know that the way that players join teams has changed. 
But the Canadians haven't changed in the sense that they haven't found new ways to find those players. Um, and we we just, yeah, we have we have Carey Price. He is an all timer for the Montreal Canadiens. Cup, no cup, doesn't matter. Like we we understand his place in the greatness of the Montreal Canadiens. I completely get that. But, you know, he's not going to be around forever, which is the nice way of saying that, and we'll get to it later, that we might be on the back nine with Carey Price. And once he's gone, yeah, we've got Suzuki and Cole Caulfield. Whether or not they'll reach that level is ha- remains to be seen. Right? Like, of course, people want to say, like, yes, they're going to be greats on this team. And I hope so. We don't know. We don't know what happens. But I, I say I'm resentful. It reminds me of when the Canadians lost in the Stanley Cup final to Tampa Bay. And the Montreal Canadiens Twitter account tweeted something along the lines of, like, a season we'll never forget. And then a video of, of you know, recapping the main parts of the season. And I remember Ken Campbell quote tweeting that video and saying like a season to remember when they didn't even win and you know these aren't the Montreal Canadiens I grew up with that sound you hear is Beliveau and Richard spinning in their graves and I I disagreed with his take that we shouldn't be happy with the way that that season ended we shouldn't we should be happy with getting to the Stanley Cup final with the memories we got from that run but I will say is, I guess, in a roundabout way, the truth is I'm jealous of guys like Ken Campbell. Of of guys who got to watch the absolute heyday of this hockey team. Like, the Tampa Bay Lightning right now, these are the greatest five years in the, in the, 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 the franchise's history. Right? Even the Toronto Maple Leafs, who have won cups in the past, this Toronto Maple Leafs team is the greatest Toronto Maple Leafs team of all time. It, When you put things in that perspective, well, at least when I do, I won't talk for you. When I put things in that perspective, it, it becomes difficult to be okay with the way that this franchise has operated for the last i'll say i'll say over 20 years two decades of 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 this franchise that has been spent doing nothing in that respect they had a couple close runs one one when they went to the third round one to, when they went to the fourth but the the problem is teams like the Tampa Bay's they don't, you know, Tampa Bay was getting to conference finals or winning a few rounds here and there, and then they kept getting better. Like the Canadians, they would win those rounds, and then they would just disappear for a few years. And we just, we well, that's it. That's That was the high watermark. So, like, we didn't, I, I, I didn't get to experience Guy. At least, like, in the moment. Like, there's YouTube videos and that stuff. Like, it doesn't it doesn't give me that warm, fuzzy feeling of, like, <laughs> thinking of, like, Mike freaking Camilleri. And God love him, but he's not a Guy Lafleur. <laughs> this, this, 
this franchise is so starved for not even just talent, not even just elite talent, but those icons that that we're reminded of all the time. We're reminded of 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 these guys every time we turn on the bro- like the TV broadcast. It in a way like they've this the the team itself, the marketing around it in the past has relied far too heavily on that nostalgia and for a new group of Canadians fans or not even new. I've been watching this team for 15 years at this point. Like that stuff's great. It doesn't do anything for me. It's nice. Like, I I have a ton of respect for the Jean Bellevaux of the world, the you know that that group of Canadians, but they're not mine. And those guys aren't winning any cups today. Like, they're not thinking about thinking about them doesn't on its own, or at least I should say, like, just sitting back and remembering some guys and being like, remember, remember Guy Lafleur, that doesn't win a cup, that doesn't help move this team forward. And I'm not saying that to be like, we shouldn't be respecting the life of Guy Lafleur, not at all. All of these tributes are so important, because they do help us reflect. And I think in a way, that's going to help us move forward, is when you look up at those rafters, and you start to realize Holy crap, those guys are from way too long ago. There's going to be... I don't know if there's going to necessarily be like a reckoning with this fan base if it doesn't turn around pretty quick, but... Or at least we see some progress. I'm not saying Stanley Cup in two years, but like... it. I... The, the emotions I got when Guy Flair passed were... I was very sad. You know, he still passed too young. Like... That's not, it's not fair. And hearing the stories is great. I love to hear about like (laughs) the wild west of what the NHL used to be. But at the same time, like it, it reminds me how far away this team has been and currently is away from being anything like they used to be. Or at least I shouldn't say like they used to be. They're far away from from attaining that level of greatness again. So I'm hoping that you know it's coming at it happened at a time where this team is in the middle of a of a huge like retool rebuild whatever you want to call it. I'm hoping that the franchise, the the powers that be within it. And I'm really struggling with my words on this. I don't know if this is brain fog or what. But I, I'm. They need to figure out a way to to try to push the, this team back in that direction where stars mattered, right? Like think, like who was the last legitimate superstar Montreal Canadian not named Carey Price? It's tough. It, like Kovalev, and he like he had one good season in Montreal. One really, really, truly elite season in Montreal. So, you know, I hope I didn't make a fool of myself. I'm trying not to, obviously. But it's... I'm at a point with this franchise where, 
you know, I, I'll give you an example. When the, the, the centennial season happened, the, uh, I think it was Canada Post, they released, uh, and I'm not even a stamp collector, but I thought these were neat. They released a set, like a set of specialty stamps that are all holographs of um, the five, I think it was the thousandth point or 500th goal. I think it was 500th goal of each player's career. And I think they're all gone. I think it was it was Belleville Richard and and now Lafleur. I I th- they're all gone. So like it's time ta- it's it's more than past time for this team to start building something that is not based on the past. You know, I'll leave it at that. Um, condolences to his family and friends. It's it's a huge loss. Um, you know, a guy fighting with with that disease for so long and uh just doesn't he can't can't pull through i think it was norm mcdonald that says if you lose if you if you die because of cancer you didn't lose your battle with cancer that's a draw so there's that and i think it's now that the the sign that you know the canadian season ends it's kind of this uncomfortable silence for a little bit um it ended with a bang though i'll give him that um that game against the Rangers was a bad hockey game. I don't think either team wanted to win that game. And Jeff Petrie said, um, I want to win this game. And he scored two goals, including the game winner, in the final minute. Um, and they were both they were both beautiful Jeff Petrie shots that make you wonder, like, I think his hands might be completely healed at this point. Um, and then a great game against a non-NHL roster in uh, the Florida Panthers. Um we're going to look at that 10-2 to 2 score years from now and wonder what the hell happened. Uh, but the Panthers just iced a team that had no ambitions of competing. Their goalie, Johansson, was one... That, that was one of the worst goaltending performances I'd ever seen. And they just he just had to Al Montoya his way through it. Um, just was not allowed to leave because they were resting Spencer Knight. And Bobrovsky didn't even dress. Um, and they had a forward and a defenseman dressed and on the bench. And they never touched the ice. Um, Mike Johnson on the broadcast said they were like the grocery sticks, like the, the little plastic, uh, bars that you, you, you separate your groceries from the next guy on the conveyor belts. And I thought that was funny. Uh, I'd never seen that before. I, I, I don't know if there's other examples of guys dressing for a game and then never playing a single second. Um, but it was definitely funny. And of course, Cole Caulfield's first NHL hat trick was, you know, everything it was billed to be, um, just an incredible flair for the the dramatic with that kid, right? Like he could have, I don't know. I feel like there was times in in other games where he had two goals where he probably could have really pressed and the team could have pressed to get him the goal. But once he got two goals with like, I think it was like 11 minutes left in the second period, I noticed that like everyone was just trying to feed him. Everyone was just trying to get him that hat trick. Um, so Great it happened. The fans of the Bell Center got a really cool memory at the end of that. Um, I think he's primed for, a, like, I don't know if you can count this season as a breakout season because of what happened in the beginning part of it. But I think next year, I don't, I'm not going to put a goal total on it. Um, but I think he's really, really going to take a step forward um, in his offensive output especially if the Canadians can find a way to grab some secondary scoring. Maybe maybe Hoffman has a more complete season. Maybe D- Jonathan Drouin is better, like healthier. 
Um, and he's able to play a full season, maybe give them that left-hand shot that they need on that line with Suzuki and Caulfield. But Andrew Berkshire points this out on Game Over all the time, that what Caulfield and Suzuki have done under St. Louis is incredibly special, not only because they're two really young players doing things that we haven't seen with really young players from Montreal in a very long time, but they're drawing all the big matchups. Like when they're going when they go out on the ice, they're most likely drawing the other team's top defensive line and their top defensive pairing. So they're drawing all these big matchups and Nick Suzuki is still still put up over 60 points. And Cole Caulfield is still scoring at a at a 46 goal pace throughout the season. Um, if you just look at under St. Louis. Because the Canadians after the deadline were just completely barren of like any real forward talent. Um, so next year, if they can get some, some scoring help up front, um, and give teams other lines to match against, it's going to give them some breathing room to create more. So that should be exciting. Even if the Canadians are not, you know, necessarily trying to make the playoffs next year, it'll at least put Caulfield and Suzuki in more situations where they can be successful. Um, and despite those two wins... The Habs finished in 32nd place. They're the first team in NHL history to do so. They've got the highest uh, lottery odds for the first overall pick at 18.5%. The lowest they'll pick is three because there's only two lotteries this year because Edmonton broke it. Um, they can move up a maximum, uh, or you can only move up a maximum of 10 spots. So the math is actually a bit nicer for the Canadians because if a team outside of the top 10 wins a lottery, they can't, they can't get that first overall pick. Um, so that 18.5% is actually a little bit better. Um, the the lowest they'll pick is third. I know that that third overall pick seems like a landmine to Habs fans right now because of how many times we've picked there. And, well, it's twice. But I guess you could say Jonathan Drouin was a third overall pick as well, and it just has not worked. Um, that's on Tuesday, May 10th, so next week. This show will come out and the lottery still will not have happened, but oh well. I do want to talk about this one last time and then we'll put a pause on it until next year when it almost definitely happens with the Connor Bedard sweepstakes. The hand-wringing on Twitter over this lottery positioning was entirely annoying. Like, people were legitimately mad at Jeff Petrie when he scored against the New York Rangers because against the Rangers, if the Canadians lost in regulation they would have clinched the lottery odds um, because they would not have been able to catch Arizona. Shortly after that game against the Rangers, the, the, the Arizona Coyotes completed a 3-0 comeback and won in overtime and put that to bed anyway, taking it out of the Canadians' hands, which is the way you ought to do it. Like, if you're going to finish in last place, you should do it because teams are better than you, not because you are trying to be bad. Um, and, you know, Jeff Petrie, I feel like this season... As much, you know, and this might be biased coming from me, president of the Jeff, Jeff Petrie fan club. I feel like he was, it was a damned if I do, damned if I don't season for him. Because if he played to his full potential, the Canadians fans would have been all over him for ruining the tank. They were in that one game when he scored twice. Tony Marinero, when Petrie scored the go-ahead goal in the last minute, he tweeted one word, disaster. Like that's, that is like, depraved <laughs> like I don't have much I'm not a big marinero guy I know some people are whatever I find him to be a shock jock and nothing else 
Um, for him to say that about the team, like to say it's a disaster that they're winning a hockey game is like, it's, it's, it's bad. And it kind of shows like where he's, where he's at as far as like, I don't know, not rooting for the team, but just like the media that he wants to put out the content that he wishes to create. Um, I know people wanted that first overall pick, but guess what? They have the best odds right now, and they still might not get it. This does not give them the first overall pick. We still have to wait for literal ping pong balls to go the Canadians' way. I bring this up all the time. The The bubble lottery, where the, the, the eight teams, they ran a lottery, and a team that was in the qualifying round won the lottery, so they had to wait. And then once the qualifying round was over, all eight teams that lost their qualifier went into a ping pong ball blowing machine. And we watched the balls bounce around in that container and the Toronto ball started to go up into the cup and it bounced around the rim and bounced out and the Rangers one went up into the cup and the Rangers won that pick. That's what we, ha- those are like the, the, the odds that we have to deal with. Like, that's what this comes down to. So I, I've never understood the, the hand-wringing that goes along with this. Like, of all, I mean, of all the things you could worry yourself with, how is this one of them? And not only that, but you're, you're, you're setting yourself up to look and feel really stupid when the Canadians roll into the draft lottery with the highest odds and the... Seattle Kraken and the Arizona Coyotes win and they move ahead of the Canadians and they pick third. That difference in lottery odds between the two, between first and second, and I think between second and third, is 5%. So, like, it's not, it was never worth, like, this much panic. So, with that said, we're going to, that's not going to be an issue for another, like, calendar year. I hope the Canadians are far enough out with the Connor Bernard sweepstakes where they, you know, I know a lot of people say they at least want to get in the top five. Fine. But Arizona is going to be historically bad again. As bad as the Canadians were this year, they're not going to be that bad next year. They needed, they set the record for man games lost due to injury this year. It's not going to happen next season. Um, So, Canadians finished the 2021-2022 campaign with a 22-49 and 11 record, good for 57 points. Um, I don't really care to get into the is this the worst team in franchise history argument because with this team, if you go back far enough, you'll see dudes hitting the puck with tree branches. So it's not really an exercise worth doing. Like, you don't need to go to Odie Cleghorn to to decide if these Canadians were bad or not. Like, this Canadians team was bad. I don't think we really need to kid ourselves with this exercise that, like, this would be anything like the 1943 Canadians who lost 80% of their blah, blah, blah. It doesn't matter. It literally does not matter. What matters next is what happens next. And that's, this offseason for the Canadians is massive. And what's... What's a shame with it is I think that the first really, really big piece is entirely out of their control. That, of course, being the health of Carey Price. Um, I think the one thing we can say about the season ending for Carey Price is that I don't think he's going to get traded at this point because 
as he showed in his um, locker day, locker cleanout day presser, there are still some really, really big question marks about his health. Um, another surgery is on the table. He said that he's going to meet with specialists. Retirement was an option. He said he prepared for that game against Florida as if it was going to be his last NHL game, which is uh, sad. I hate the fact that that might have been the case. Um, doesn't seem like he's resigned himself to that fact. Um, he says he's not going to give up. He's going to keep going. Good on him. Um, I know, you know, some people are, are thinking about this as the, the capologists and, well, you know, if they can get that $10.5 off the books, blah, 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 blah. Like, there's... I, I'm rooting for good health to prevail. The Canadians are better with him around, if not from a hockey standpoint, from a person standpoint. I think the last few years in Montreal have shown us that you need good people around for good things to happen. Um... You know, it's, I don't know how you cannot root for him to be healthy again. And, you know, he still very clearly has the drive to do that. He has the desire to move forward in a way that, that helps him with the rest of his career. Like he's, he doesn't, he didn't look at Florida as the end. He, it might be, but he's looking at options that allow him to keep playing. He means a great deal to, you know, that city, that organization, and in a more, you know, in a more cosmic sense, that that crest, that jersey, those colors, like he is for, you know, I'll go back to talking about my generation of Habs fans. He is that jersey, right? Like it was, it was probably Saku before him, and now it's him, like they're inseparable at this point. So I'm rooting for for good health to prevail. But, you know, if he's not going to be healthy to at least start the season, or you, he's still a question mark headed into the season, what do you do if you're Ken Hughes and Jeff Gordon as far as goaltending? Do you run Allen and Montembeau again? You know, you, you risk with Montembeau, if you have Allen and Montembeau signed and Price signed and Price is good to go, you have to send Montembeau down on waivers at the beginning of the season, and we see teams lose goalies all the time. Um, not to say that I think Montembeau is a surefire guy to be claimed on waivers, but you know, he the, he Montembeau or a Montembeau type would need to be in that situation because Primo should not even be the third option for the Montreal Canadiens in goal. He like there should be. A guy in between him and Jake Allen as far as the successor to Carey Price. Because right now, Caden Primo needs to play hockey games. And he needs to play them at the the AHL level with a team that's focused on developing hockey players. Um, because what we saw in the NHL this year worries me about the way that he can progress in his NHL career. We gave, we gave Mark Bergeron a lot of credit for getting Jake Allen, and rightfully so. It was a good move. It made sense. I think the the analogy at the time that I think Mark Antoine Godin at The Athletics said was, um, you know, Carey Price is the sports car. You need, to, you need to pay for the maintenance on that sports car. And Allen was expensive from a cap perspective. He's less expensive now than when they got him, but that was the, that was the truth. But it was justified. 
The only problem is that it came five years too late, right? Like, Carey Price was playing way too much. We knew he was playing way too much. Mark Bergevin had a head coach who relied on Carey Price being a world beater in order to squeeze out wins 2-1, to 3-1. to one. So, you know, that was a theme with that administration was, was stuff getting done way after the, the date where it should have happened. So I hope they have a plan. I'm sure they've, they've cooked something up. But, you know, as they say, you plan, God laughs. Um, to something they have all the control over at, at the moment is Jeff Petrie. Um, his his uh, his locker clean-out day presser was pretty revealing, I think. Um, he said that his thoughts on leaving have changed. It's not a definite that he wants out at this point. Um, he described his family issues with, you know, that's what everyone had had anticipated. His family had left to go back to the States because, you know, his because his wife's family and his family were not allowed to come into Canada. Um, or I guess it was difficult for them to come into Canada during the shutdown. And they needed help. Julie, Julie Petrie, his wife needed, they all needed help taking care of their two kids. He, he joked, he's like, you guys have seen the videos. It's a, it's a madhouse. Um, but he, you know, he, he spoke so fondly of the city, of the fans, of his experience as a Canadian. In, and I think that that can't be discounted when thinking of whether or not he's going to decide to stay because then he followed up by saying he's going to discuss it with his family this summer to see, you know, what, what they say. Although I will... You know, while taking him at his word um, that he will discuss it, I don't think if he wanted out, he was going to sit at that press conference and say, yeah, I the trade request is still active. I would like to leave. I don't think that's in Jeff Petrie's best interest, one, in the team's best interest, two, or, you know, anything of the anything of of Jeff character or Jeff Petrie's character. Um, still, I think the chances of him staying are pretty low, but they're not zero. Right. I think maybe they he he talks it over with his family and they say, let's give it another year and see what happens. Um, maybe they maybe they try to trade him. And, you know, we know that that Kent Hughes's policy with trading players is I'm not trading him at an offer that is anything lower than what I want to move him at. So, you know. If that offer doesn't come along over the summer, Jeff Petrie's probably a Montreal Canadian going into this going into the fall. That said, I think teams will will move heaven and earth to get a guy like Petrie. Um, I still think Dallas is a really good fit with Klingberg, most likely on the way out. He just kind of slides in there um, really effectively uh, as that team seems to be on the upswing as far as like competing. Um, they, they made the playoffs this year. They I don't, I don't know much about their roster other than Jason Robertson absolutely rules. Um, but an aging core, maybe they, they feel like they have to go for it sometime in the near future. The one issue that I see with Petrie leaving is that Ken Hughes said if he leaves, or if I, I should say if we do move him, we're bringing in another veteran for, on defense. And I, that's a bit of a head-scratcher. I think it's possibly just because they want... I wonder if Kent Hughes sees each pairing as one vet and one rookie moving forward. One vet and one young guy, rather. So, you know, I don't know what they consider Alexander Romanov at this point, but it seems like he should be under the veteran category. 
So then you have Petrie replacement, player X. You have Joel Edmondson, who's still under contract. And you have David Savard, who is under contract until I'm in the ground. And then you've got Romanov. So you're considering him likely a uh, a veteran player. They played him more than anybody else down the stretch. So he has to be in that category. So then you have to... That's four defensemen. You have to figure out what you have in guys like Jordan Harris, uh, Justin Barron, uh, Norlander, Caden Gooley. Does he make the team? So there's four more. So now you've got... You've got eight defensemen looking at six spots and possibly one bench one bench spot, like it's a fantasy roster. <laughs> one healthy scratch. I think I think it makes sense for Caden Gooley to start in the AHL, so I'm probably leaving him there. And then it seems like the defense is set. So it's either Jeff Petrie or whatever veteran defenseman we have there. And then the, the discussion becomes who's sitting every other night. It's probably Jordan Harris and Jason or Jason and Justin Barron swapping in and out, but I don't I don't think that Kent Hughes is gonna sit on his hands this summer when it comes to that blue line, because I think he knows it's a disaster because it's really, really bad. Um but that's a discussion for later. Uh if that's it for Petrie in Montreal, I'm going to be very sad. Um I have a Jeff Petrie jersey. I'm the president a co president along with um friend of the show, Scott Matla, of the Jeff Petrie fan club. Um, if that was a way for him to go out, he 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 did it in style. He, 21 points in the final 30 games under St. Louis. That sounds like normal Jeff Petrie things. Uh, it shows teams that if you trade for him, you're probably getting full value Jeff Petrie. Um, he was also like, I think people are starting to realize that under Ducharme, he was the de facto captain with, with uh, Weber out. Because... He explained in his presser that, you know, the rift or so-called rift was based on the fact that he, Petrie that is, would be the one taking the complaints of the uh, the younger guys on the team about the system to the, the head coach. He was that liaison between the coach and the players. And, you know, he still sounded frustrated talking about the way Ducharme wanted them to play hockey. Like, I don't think Jeff Petrie has fully recovered mentally from from losing that many games in the exact same way. You know, and Jet, like everyone, everyone has been just absolutely lambasting this guy all season because, oh, he looks like he doesn't care. He looks like he's, he's checked out. The guy's family, like, left the country in the middle of the season. And while that's happening, they've got a head coach who absolutely refused to do anything other than his idea. You you would look like you hated your life too. Like, this guy's human, and I I I I'm frustrated with the perception of Jeff Petrie, the hockey player, coming you know to the end of the season because does anybody remember how good he was last year until Dom Ducharme took over and his system took over the hockey team? Like, we were talking about, and not in the joking meme way that I've always talked about it, there were, like, halfway through the season last year, there were legitimate talks of him winning a Norris trophy. And then this coach takes over who, and I know it worked, and they rode that wave for a while into the, you know, through the playoffs. A lot of that was Carey Price was really good. A lot of that was guys were putting the puck in the net who, 
you know, at, at a rate that was that was a lot higher than what they were doing in the regular season. I think <laughs> Dom Ducharme hockey was like was Jeff Petrie's kryptonite. And it shows in the way that he still looks incredibly frustrated. And I think I think that this is the last time he Jeff Petrie is ever gonna have to talk about Dom Ducharme in this capacity. And I wonder if if that much of it is just enough for him to say, let's stay and see how this works out. Because he does seem to really enjoy playing under Marty St. Louis. He said some really complimentary things of the way that the coach wants to to run things. Um But man, like Petrie was speaking to the choir when he was saying, like, we all saw what wasn't working, and it just, they, they were, there were no changes. Like, I, I, I'm frustrated with the fact that this fan base, uh, sections of it, not all of it, completely turned on Jeff Petrie over a coach that, like, very clearly was not doing what he was supposed to be doing. And we have, we have season after season after season of incredible play from Jeff Petrie. And this one season where everything bad that could have happened happened, and that's what people are using to define Jeff Petrie, is him at his worst moment when everything around him also crumbled. It's not fair. So that's it for my Jeff Petrie rant. I hope he sticks around. I would also be really interested to see what a return for Jeff Petrie would look like. I think it could really help kickstart this rebuild. Um, so some other loose net, loose ends that I've been thinking about just as the season ends. Um, we saw Jonathan Drouin at the um, at the last game of the season. He came out on the ice for Pierre Gervais, his last game um, as the equipment manager for the Montreal Canadiens. I, I still don't know what happens with Jonathan Drouin. I can't imagine there's a trade while he's hurt, you know, I think they said he'll be ready for training camp. We'll see. The The, the sad thing with, with Durang is that, you know, the injuries are like whack-a-moles. It's, it's tough. It's, it's tough. It's not an indictment of him as a player. It's, it, it, he just has to be the, like the unluckiest hockey player that's, that's, that's worn the Canadians jersey. Um, but I said earlier, maybe he comes back and he's that left wing option on that first line for Caulfield and Suzuki. That would really be something. And I wonder if he's if he's that guy who they can use at the top of the umbrella on a five man power play, a truly a, a well run five man power five forward power play that is, because um, they were putting Mike Hoffman there and boy that was not working. So I wonder if that's something that they can. They can consider moving forward if he comes back and if he's healthy. Those are two really big ifs at this point. Um, another one, I, I mentioned him earlier, uh, Alexander Romanov. He needs a new contract, I think. So, you know, they were using him as a number one defenseman down the stretch. I, I you know, defensively, I bet there's something that they can they can work with him on to make him a strong defensive uh, defenseman. But offensively, man, it's just not there. Like, his shooting percentage is bad because he just takes really low percentage shots all the time. Um, I, I won't go into this. My, my opinion of this player is public knowledge at this point. Um, I, I, he's still very young. He's only 22. I hope that the skills coaches can massage him into a 
an offensive asset for the Montreal Canadiens and not just, you know, an Alexi Emelin cover band. Um, so that contract, I bet it's a bridge deal. Like, I bet it's a two-year contract, and then they see at the end of that what, what what's going on. But I, I would be very cautious giving him a long-term deal at this point, unless it's, like, long-term and... Like unless it's like eight years at like three million a year, you're probably not burning yourself there. But I I don't. If you're Alexander Romanov, you're not signing that deal. Um, Weber's contract is likely to be moved. I bet they were pretty close to moving it at the deadline. Um, I bet there are teams that could use that LTIR space, or just use it as dead money against the cap because they don't want to pay actual players because the cap hit while it's like seven million i think he's owned six million dollars over the final like three years of the deal or something like that i can't remember exactly um so there's not a lot of actual dollars tied up in that so a team that needs to um, get to the cap floor or a team that or a team that wants to use the ltir space but i don't think they'll have an issue moving it there's a bunch of people who could probably use it um, and then finally, just what is Kent Hughes going to be looking for? Um, free agency becomes a very interesting aspect of the offseason for me, not in the sense that I think they're going to go after the Patrice Bergerons or the Christopher Letangs, as uh, Pierre McGuire likes to call him, Christopher Letang. I just memed into that. I, I know his name's Chris, but whatever. Um this is the first the first free agency with a GM who used to be an agent. This is this is where I think he's going to make his medal. So we'll see how it goes. I'm not expecting the big names, but maybe he'll surprise us. Um, I'm I'm really like like I said earlier. I'm not positive of anything except COVID at the moment. So I I have no idea what what the off season holds. I think that's what's hardest about this season ending is. Like, there's a lot of question marks coming up. There's a lot of hope, like a lot of things that I'm I'm thinking positively of, but I'm sure of nothing. Um, there's a lot coming. We'll try to cover it all on this show. Um, have some guests over the summer to talk about the season that was for the Canadians, and maybe some. We'll do some other dumb bits, like remembering some guys. That's always a a crowd pleaser. Uh, but I'm done. I uh. I hope I didn't sound too gross. <laughs> Again, I feel pretty good, all things considered. Thanks to the people who have reached out. It's meant a lot. Um, thanks for listening. I know this season sucked. It it might have been the worst season to try making something new in Habs-related media. So if you decided to listen, thank you. Um, I think I'm 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 a pretty big believer in in you know, not in every situation, but in a lot of situations, you get out what you put in. Um, in that case, I got I got a lot out of this season. I got to meet a lot of new people. I got to show up on a lot of places where you had to listen to my voice and see my face, which is like I should be I should be tried at the Hague for that. Um, but I'm gonna miss this season. I'm gonna miss watching this team every other night, which midway through the season, like I don't think I could have expected. Right. Like I was tuning out on this team. It was just it was like. And then towards the end of Dom Ducharme, you started to get a feeling that like this was actually going to change. So you kind of tuned back in to see the end of the train wreck. Um, 
And then, you know, I was planning this podcast and I was, I was like, I'm going to record in like a week. I have to set everything up. I hope they don't do anything big in the meantime. And then of course they, they friggin' can do charm and hired St. Louis. And I was like a week late on that, but that's okay. Um, the podcast is making things more interesting for me. Like watching the games was more interesting. Engaging with people on Twitter is more interesting. Um, making up more bad takes, always more interesting, which I think is what I need. I need something interactive when this team stinks. So, um, you know, and then it, it you, I, I'm hoping anyway, I'll feel some level of payoff when they, when they actually start to get good again. So onwards and upwards for me, for the team, for this, this show, and hopefully you. All right. Uh, check me out on Twitter at maybe it's Ian at rabbit Habs for the blog. Um, not really much going on over there. Oh, well, um, I didn't mention any links I have in, I'm writing, I write all this down. I have in the description. It says, check the description for th- links to things I mentioned to the show. I didn't mention anything. I just talked about nothing for 50 minutes and you sat here and you listened to it. You sickos. But what I do have to say is the music you heard at the beginning of the show and are hearing now is Inside by Fred Mugg. Check the description for a link to his Bandcamp page to listen to the rest of his stuff, including a brand new six-track album called Expedition. It's really good. All right, guys. Into the off-season. I'll talk to you soon. Later. Later.